Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. I think, I guess to the two, to that show's credit, I like and hate things about every season, I think, you know, and I think they're doing that on purpose because part of the appeal is people watch it because they're, they know they're going to be shocked or things that they don't like about it. And uh, there are interesting stories to be told as well. So. Well, I do know that we brought some of it. I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and jump into chapter four. There's a lot of good content to talk about in this, and we can uh, revisit some of these topics. But um, chapter four is all about types of businesses that you want to that you want to consider going into. Um, probably the most popular type of business, or it is the most popular type, is sole proprietorship. I'm going to stand up a minute just to stretch my legs. But um, sole proprietorship is the most popular. It's a business that's established, owned, and operated and often financed by one person. And the reason why this is the most popular style or type of business, because it's really easy to open. I can say today, I can declare, hey, I'm a sole proprietor, I'm doing this, I'm starting a business, I'm offering a product or service, and it doesn't require any additional paperwork. You don't have to get a special tax ID, you don't have to file any type of paperwork with the government. Basically, as a sole proprietor, if I wanted to go out today and go buy a pressure washer, if I wanted to go buy some other cleaning equipment, I can, I can just go say I'm going to be a house washer and go create a free Facebook page and start requesting, you know, advertising and requesting business. Um, I could do the same thing if I wanted to be like a mobile car wash. Um, now, if I wanted to be somebody that's providing food service, you may have to, obviously, we have to get some additional licenses and... Uh, Certifications, you will have to be inspected by the, uh, uh, the, the health department, things like that, to make sure that you're providing uh, things that are appropriate quality and, and safety standards are met. But for the most part, opening a sole proprietorship is very easy. Uh, some advantages, all the profits go to the owner. If you're it, you don't have to divide up the profits with anybody else. Direct control of the business. You're the sole proprietor. You're the owner, operator. Freedom from government regulations. Yeah, like I said, nothing really changes. There's not a lot of oversight, uh, except depending on which sector you go in into. No special special taxation. Everything is done at the individual income tax rate, and the ease of disillusion. If you you know say you know I'm done with this, no more closing up shop. You don't really have to go through a arduous process. Well, once again though, it depends on what you have, the type of business it is, and um, how much infrastructure you have in place. I mean, you could be a sole proprietor and operate a multi-million dollar business and have dozens and dozens of employees. And obviously, if you go out of business or, or dissolve with that, there's going to be some things that have to happen. You know, you're going to have to get out of contracts. You have to terminate employees. I mean, it's, you know, it's not just one day turning everything off. So some dis- disadvantages, unlimited liability. What that means is anything's happening, anything happens in the business, uh, injury of any type or any type of um, calls that somebody has to file against you, to to sue you, then you're the one on the chopping block. Difficulty to raise capital, uh, limited managerial expertise. Um, Yeah, if you're the 
you're basically relying on your knowledge base. Trouble finding qualified employees, personal, I mean, think about this. Yeah, if you're a sole proprietor, um, I've worked for individual companies before that were a sole proprietor. Uh, my wife has too. When you come with a large organization, they often offer benefits like health insurance, vacation time, uh, and other, you know, fringe benefits. But if you go to a sole proprietor, unless they're extremely large, the odds of them offering a lot of benefits are pretty limited. You know, I used to install hardwood floors. Basically, all you got was a paycheck, right? My wife, she's worked for sole proprietors, and it was just very limited in what you could get. Um, personal time commitments. Yeah, when you're the sole owner-operator, yeah, you're on call 24-7, 365. Um, unstable business life, and then the losses, losses are the owner's responsibility. So you can see in the chart above, sole proprietors make up 72% of the business entities, but only make up 4% of sales. So isn't that crazy? Like on the reverse, corporations make up 18% of the business entities, but they're responsible for 80%, 81% of the sales. Uh, and then partnerships in the middle, 10% um, of the uh, entities and 15% of sales. So partnerships are the next, I guess, type of business. Partnership is an association of two or more individuals who agree to operate a business together for profits. And these, these agreements can take on many forms. You can have basically a, a general partnership, all partners share in the management and, and the profits. You can also have limited partnerships where you have somebody that says, okay, we're partners, you put up the money, I'll run it. And I'll, you get a piece of the profit and you know, I, I'll take care of everything else. So somebody brings the expertise with how to run the business, somebody else brings the capital to actually get the business funded and, and things going. Um, <clears throat> so there are some advantages and disadvantages with this as well. Advantages, the ease of formation. Yeah, once again, two people come together, they form an agreement. Um, they may or may not have uh, a lawyer involved in order to form a contract. You can get, you can write out a contract yourself, sign it in front of a witness, uh, legal witness, preferably a notary, so these two people sign this agreement, notarize, it's a deal. That's it. You know, you're partners. And um, a lot of people may have the misconception that you always have to have a lawyer for everything. It's not necessarily the case, um, but I guess generally the more complicated the deal is or the more that's at stake, you want to have a lawyer involved for things like that. But if it's um, two people getting together and they're just start starting a company, um, you may not need a lawyer at that point. You may just want to write up something simple so expectations are understood. This is what I bring to the table. This is what my responsibility is. This is what I will do. This is what you bring to the table, what your responsibilities and what you'll do. It's good that you identify that on the front end, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. So availability of capital. Yeah, if you've got two partners involved, it's not just what you have as a sole proprietor. It's what you both collectively have together. Diversity of skills and experience, flexibility, no special taxes, still at the individual income tax rates, relative freedom from government control. So you still basically are owning and operating um, with no really change to the tax structure. And I'll continue to talk about this over the course of this class, but I'll mention it here since it's brought up. When I first started studying business, um, I would think about business. The first thing that's come to mind would be the product service and the, the logo and the look, 
Those were the two first things that would conceptually come to mind. Actually, after I've studied it for a while, the more important things that I should have been thinking about were what is the tax implications? How do I minimize tax exposure? And what is my exit strategy if this thing doesn't work out? Because you have to understand that business uh, enterprise is a high-risk endeavor. Most businesses fail within the five-year period. So, um, I mean, there is a big chunk that survive, but there's a, a big list of people that just don't make it. And so if you know that you're entering into a risky endeavor, you want to have an exit strategy and always ask, what's the worst that could happen? You know, is this a situation where I could just lose some, some capital on the front end? Or is my house going to be at stake, you know, if this thing goes south? Um, anybody watch Shark Tank in the room? Yeah, I'm a big fan. I watch it. I think I've seen most every episode, except maybe some of the more recent ones. Um, my wife hates Shark Tank, so when I turn it on, she's like, oh, I don't know Shark Tank. But so uh, I go through kind of uh, on, on again, off again with Shark Tank. But the interesting thing about Shark Tank that's good for business students to watch is you get to see from a firsthand perspective what entrepreneurs go through. And some of them have literally put their house you know, up to funds their product or service, whatever it is they're, they're offering. And so if it doesn't work out, they're going to lose everything that they own, basically. So the stakes uh, you know, are definitely something to consider. The tax implications are something to consider. And as this conversation on taxes evolves, when we get to corporations, I'll talk about why taxation is so important. So uh, the disadvantages of partnership, unlimited liability still. So just because you have a partnership doesn't mean that you are not liable for something that goes wrong. Potential for conflicts between partners. That's a good one. I have a story for that. Complexity of profit sharing. Hey, I'm doing all the work. You're just getting the cut of the pie. What's up with that? You know, how does that work? And then difficulty exiting or dissolving a partnership. What happens when another partner doesn't want to participate anymore and there's no cash, no reserves, but they want to be bought out? How do, how do, how do we manage that? Or there's a major disagreement between the partners and one partner wants to exit. How, does, how do we manage that? And so that's, that creates some complexities. You could be best buddies today, have a disagreement, end up not speaking, and these things happen, and you've got this entanglement with the business. And so uh, my dad was approached by one of his friends. This was probably around 2001, 2002. And the friend says to my dad, we should start a car, car dealership together. Dad says, that sounds interesting. Let's, let's talk about it, you know. So dad put up the money. He was the, I guess, general partner or limited partner. And the other guy was supposed to be like the managing partner. And then the managing partner hired a manager to run it. And they hired me to do the F&I, finance and insurance, and the basically deal brokerage. I helped, you know, get all the paperwork and stuff together. And so they ran it for a while and basically were not building up any cash reserves. They were, they were basically almost zeroing out their bank account every month. You know, money would come in, they pay their bills, whatever profits were left, they split up, took all the money and they never built up the cash reserve. They never paid the business. And um, eventually what happened, that first manager left, I left, they hired another manager. That manager came in and started embezzling funds to the tune of about $70,000. Well, it put them in a situation where they were pretty much almost insolvent. And so the original partner left. My dad was the financial person with it. And so he eventually just had to sell the business, liquidate it in order just to move on. 
the guy who was embezzling funds, we went to the police. The police told us, uh, you know, we could pursue it, but, uh, you know, it's basically a, us versus them. So they went to a lawyer. The lawyer said, you can pursue this, but if you win, it's probably going to cost you ten to 20000 in litigation to pursue it. Even if you win, there's no guarantee he's going to pay you back. And so my parents didn't pursue it just because of the money. Later, he was found guilty of uh, basically 104 felonies for basically uh, fraud, embezzlement, and uh, the, the DMV got onto him for basically falsifying records. The scam was pretty simple. Um, how he was embezzling funds was he would come in, a customer would come in, they would do a deal, and they would fill out a sales uh, bill of sale. So here's this bill of sale, customer signs it. And then when the customer left, he would ball that bill of sale up and throw it in trash and write out a new bill of sale to change the numbers. And so if they put down like a $1,500 down payment, he would adjust the down payment down to 1000 and put $500 in his pocket. And so he was basically, that's how the scam worked. And so, you know, anyway, but we saw in that example, that's a learning opportunity for me and for you. You're, you're, you're learning through my, my family's experience of that business to say that a couple things. Number one, you can't trust people when it comes to money, right? That's, that's, that should be super obvious, even your family. I mean, sorry to say that. I mean, be real, you know, like if, if I mean, it's just, you don't, I think if you give a family member a large amount of money to be responsible for, you're putting them in a very diff difficult ethical situation, you know, because their minds are gonna start churning, what could I do with this kind of money, you know, or whatever, so, you know, like if you give like a family member, you know, $10,000 in cash and say, just hold this for me, anything that comes up in their life, they're gonna think, oh, I've got $10,000 right over there, and if I take 100 bucks, you know, it's no big deal, you know, it's family. So it puts them in this really tough ethical dilemma. So uh, just be very careful when it comes to money. That's, that's the, some good advice I can offer you on that. Um, but yeah, just can't, what you learn from this experience, you can't trust people with money. You have to always be, be aware of what's happening with the money. And number two, be cautious who you go into business with. I mean, uh, I would really strongly encourage you to be a sole proprietor, be the shot caller. Um, be a partner if you absolutely have to, but there's a reason why partnerships are probably um, the smallest of the entities. Sole proprietor is the biggest for a reason because, number one, you have to split the profits with a partner, right? If you're going to business and you're working it, you want to retain those profits for yourself. And so um, there's a lot of advantages and disadvantages, but my, my take is, is just be a sole proprietor if you can do it. And then lastly, we get to corporations, not lastly, there's a couple other kind of versions, but corporation is interesting. It changes things dramatically when we get to talking about taxes and compliance and things like that. A corporation is a legal entity subject to the laws of the state in which it's formed, where the right to operate as a business is issued by state charter. So a corporation can own property, enter into contracts, sue and can be sued, and engage in business operations under the terms of its charter. Unlike sole proprietorships and partnerships, corporations are taxable entities with a life separate from their owners who are not personally liable for its debts. So this is really interesting um, and something a very different animal than sole proprietors and partnerships. Corporations are uh, basically, they have personhood status. When you create a corporation, you're creating an artificial person, basically. Hi, this is our corporation, you know, just born, you know. And 
since they are a court, they are an artificial person. They have a tax ID. They are can be taxed, um, and they can be held liable for um, anything that happens under that umbrella of the corporation. Whereas, if I am the if I'm the founder of this corporation, um, I said we go in and found it, and the corporation makes a million dollars in profit that year. Well, I'm not going to be taxed any because unless I take a dividend or am paid as in, receive some money as income, my personal income tax is going to stay the same. The corporation will pay its liabilities, uh, and you know that the, the corporation itself as an entity will have to deal with that. But unless I take a distribution, I won't have to deal with any of that myself. So the firm does not have to incorporate in the state where it's based and may benefit from comparing the rules of several states before choosing a state of incorporation. Although Delaware is a small state with few corporations actually based there, its pro-corporate policies make it the state of incorporation for many companies, including about half the Fortune 500. Incorporating a company involves five main steps. Selecting a company name, writing the articles of incorporation and filing them with the appropriate state office, usually the Secretary of State, paying the required fees and taxes, holding an organizational meeting, adopting bylaws, electing directors, and passing the first operating resolutions. So it sounds more complicated. It's really not that complicated. You can open up a corporation for probably a few hundred dollars and um, you want to, there's record keeping you have to do, but you can maintain the whole thing in, in Microsoft Office Suite. You know, you can uh, have a board of electors, board of elections, uh, or board of directors. You can have um, a charter and you can have uh, minutes from those meetings and really, really simple. Why do you think it would be a benefit to somebody to open a corporation versus a sole proprietorship or versus a partnership? Why do you think it might be advantageous? I'll tell you, taxes. So like if you're somebody that doesn't want to increase your tax exposure, and so like, you know, like I said, I know it's geeky. You're an accountant, right? You're going to accounting. I know this is geeky to think about and, and like, but it's absolutely certain true. Um, the older you get, the more you recognize uh, you want to minimize your tax exposure. And so, uh, having a corporation, you can generate profits, but not directly have to pay taxes as an individual. Then the corporations will pay, but uh, you basically reduce your individual tax exposure. And so let me give you one example. Let's say you open up a corporation that sells a product, whatever that may be, and after your first year, you've generated $100,000 in profit, okay? But you've paid out none to you personally. But there's other benefits of owning the corporation. So the corporation will pay taxes on, let's say that's after tax profit, 100 grand, clean, that's their clear, free and clear. They don't have to distribute that. They can retain that profit within the corporation and invest it on, on the corporation's behalf. So the corporation can buy assets. Let's say it wants to buy a rental property or uh, it wants to lease a car for its executives. Are you feeling me what I'm saying now? So like, you can have a corporation that pays you zero salary, but it could uh, lease or buy a property that's an investment to let its executives reside in for free. It could have a lease program for its executives. So if it's a car for free, it could have a cell phone plan for its executives that the corporation pays for, that you don't pay for, but the corporation does. Those are expenses that get deducted from its taxable 
income. You, you feel me on this? So if you had a company that was producing a certain amount of revenue, the company could basically pay for your your living expenses as an executive of the company, and you don't have any of that as taxable income because the corporation is using that as a expense to provide for its executives in order to run the corporation. So just like you've seen corporations that'll have corporate housing that you know some executives stay in or a auto like my wife came from a corporation her last job and they had a basically auto lease program where several of the executives drove like Audis or Cadillacs or Mercedes. The one of the owners of the corporation lived in an eleven thousand square foot home that's owned by the corporation. And so you don't have to be a multi-million dollar company to do stuff like that. You can run a corporation that produces, you know, kind of small profits, but those profits could be used in a tax advantage way. Because let's do the other example. Let's say that company made a hundred thousand dollars profit after taxes, then it paid you that hundred grand. Well, now guess what? You've got to pay personal taxes on that hundred grand as taxable income, and so that hundred thousand dollars. I mean, the tax man's going to come get a big chunk of that, right? And so then on top of that, let's say that you pay the third, you know, a third of that in taxes roughly, you know. And then after, the, after that, if you want to buy that housing, buy that car, have that cell phone plan or whatever it may be, uh, you can even have a corporate health plan, pay for your health insurance. And so whatever that may be, um, you're going to have to pay all that. And so you'll be less with less money at the end of the day than if you just left it in the corporation and let them take care of it. So just some... That's the way you got to think. You got to get creative with how you run your business. And so, lots of businesses. No, because it's not, you're not getting paid like any type of income. You're receiving, um, that's a corporate expense. The corporation is paying for those items in order to uh, take care of its executive. So, yeah, so like corporate lease program for a car, for example. Let's say I started a corporation year one. Pay myself zero income, none. But the corporation pays for my cell phone bill because we're going to have cell phones. And the corporation pays for at least for a car for me because I have to have transportation, okay? And so, and then eventually a corporation has, you know, retained profits of so much that they just buy a house as a rental, as a asset. Remember, corporations can own assets. So they buy a house as an investment and the executive lives there. And so, yeah, I mean, so there's, there's, I think it's uh, pretty smart, actually, because, like I said, uh, my wife came from a corporation previously, and the the house that the executive, one of the executives lived in was corporate-owned, so I said, man, that's, that's brilliant, you know, how do you do that, so it's just changing the paradigm a little bit, you know. Other questions, comments? Yeah. All right. So these are what is involved in the articles of incorporation. The name of the corporation company goals, types of stock, uh, and number of shares, each type to issue, life of the corporation, usual, uh, usually per perpetual, meaning no time limit, minimum investment by owners, method for transferring shares of stock, address of the corporate office, names and addresses of first board of directors. So, yeah, um, I used to work for a, I guess, a small uh, corporation, and um, the owner uh, had a car that the, the company paid for, you know, and I'm sure like he was on the company's cell phone plan, you know, that kind of stuff. So you have to look at ways that you can, I guess, uh, benefit from owning the corporation without receiving income per se. And you can still pay yourself income. I'm not saying 
not if that's what you choose to do, but I'm just saying that's one potential use case for owning and operating a business. So this idea of stockholders or shareholders, are the owners of a corporation holding shares of stock that provide them with certain rights. They may receive a portion of the corporation's profit in the form of a dividend. They can sell or transfer their ownership very easily. So this is a key different, uh, differentiator between, um, I guess, partnerships and sole proprietors to the idea of shareholders because I can just sell or transfer my shares to another party to get out of uh, any type of corporation that I'm involved in. Stockholders elect uh, board of directors to govern and handle the overall management of the company. You can be a founder, you can be an operator, and on the board of directors as well. Um, the directors set major corporate goals and policies, hire corporate officers, and oversee the firm's operation and finances. Small firms have as few as three directors, whereas large corporations usually have 10 to 15. So some advantages of corporations. This is the big, another big differentiator, limited liability, meaning that if something happens, the corporation, the entity gets sued, that other, that other person. They don't come after your personal assets. You know, that if you've got a house, you know, whatever it may be, they're not coming after your stuff directly. The ease of transferring ownership, that's another big deal. So you've got those stocks that are, you know, shares that you can easily transfer or sell. Unlimited life, meaning that if you're a sole proprietor, once you die, your business dies. Yes and no, kind of, but with a corporation, it could go on for hundreds of years, you know. Um, just, you know, as we transfer stock ownership to other individuals very easily, that, that can happen. Ability to attract financing. Um, corporations can raise money by selling new shares of stock. So that's an easy way to allow for financing, selling of stock. Some disadvantages, the double taxation of profit. I was just talking about this. Corporations must pay federal and state income tax on the profit. In addition, any profits or dividends paid to shareholders are taxed as personal income, although at a somewhat reduced rate. So um, I wouldn't say it's tax, you were saying it's tax evasion, it's actually tax avoidance. So there's a big difference, uh, but it, there is a gray area there. Some people like wander into tax evasion, Tax avoidance is saying, I'm just not going to pay myself any income. You know, I'm going to avoid paying taxes. I'm going to pay my federal and state within the corporation. But instead of receiving income from the company, I'm just going to receive benefits like cell phones, cars, things like that. So and, legal but unethical. Huh? Legal but unethical. Is it unethical? Because you're an operator, and so you own a corporation that's, you're, if, you're, if you're able to do that, you're providing a good service that is obviously needed, otherwise you wouldn't be turning a profit. So if you are turning a profit uh, and you are operating. I mean, I, I see it on that side, but whenever it comes down to corporations, obviously we know how eventually they all turn out. Doesn't it seem a, a little bit uh, unethical to an extent if you look at, okay, well, the CEO has all this. Right. Okay. I mean, even if they have another form of income, they, they now don't have to worry about that, but they have the benefits. What about the people lower down? Sure. Is it considered ethical then? You know, you've got people that are working for you, what, 10, 15 bucks an right. hour. They can't afford the same things that you're getting for free. So 
I would differentiate. I, I, there's a anything that I'm talking about with this. There's a spectrum, and there's different cases are going to have different ways I view it. So let me address that. When I used to work for University of Mount Olive, and this is a normal thing for all college presidents of uh, institutional, like large institutions, um, the president of the college got a very generous salary, probably in somewhere in the neighborhood of about a quarter million dollars a year. In addition to that, he got a free house that was owned by the college. In addition to that, he got a free car that the college paid for, okay, for being the executive. Um, and this is somebody's making, you know, five or six times my salary. And for him to get a free house in addition, it's a nice house. And a free car, is that ethical? I don't know. But I'll say that if you start, what you huh? What's that? Considering what you want to lose and that they're a, a private college huh? and supposedly governed by their religious background, yeah, kind of assume. Sure. Bit. I mean... Like I said, every case and every and not every individual is going to answer the same way. If I ask them the same set of questions about is this ethical or not, I don't see anything unethical with that. Um, like, and for the same reason, like if I start a company, a corporation, and that corporation is able to turn a profit, and as a fringe benefit of operating that, instead of saying I'm going to pay myself income, that I'm able to use a cell phone. Maybe the corporation pays for insurance for me. Maybe the corporation leases a car for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see, I don't see that as being unethical myself. You may view that differently. Um, but like I said, I can ask 100 people the same exact question and half of them will say it's unethical, other half will say it's ethical, you know. So, I don't know. It just depends on where, what your vantage point is, your prior knowledge and education on the subject. So, what do you guys think? Do you think it's unethical for a corporation to be formed to turn a profit and then for the founders to use that corporation for personal gain. That's why this is basically a meddling, isn't it? Mm -hmm. it's like if you're using your company for your own personal gain, eventually you're going to get caught kind of ethic-wise. You might get it right down, but everybody else thinks it's going to be wrong. Well, what I'm saying is there's nothing illegal about a company having like insurance, like paying for insurance for a, a corporate officer. Nothing unethical about that. There's nothing ethical for a company paying for a cell phone plan for a corporate officer. There's nothing ethical about a company leasing a car for a corporate officer. And there's nothing unethical um, buying a piece of real estate. The company can do that and let the corporate officer live there as a fringe benefit. So... But it can also be seen as a tax write-off. I mean... All, all that is a tax write-off for the corporation. Well, well, I'm saying, I'm saying, like, if you, I mean, yes, if you've got, well, in my the case my wife was at this last corporation, they've probably got fifty to one hundred employees at least, something like that, and their cell phone bill on a monthly basis, the corporation's cell phone bill for Verizon was like over three thousand dollars a month, and yeah, I mean, you know that there's a lot of family that isn't that's on that plan, you know, like the the corporate officers and. These are owners too, they own this corporation. So, But I mean, you know, when I used to work for a corporation, the owner of the corporation had a car that the, the company paid for. So I mean, and he was the owner. So I mean, they, he could have said, you pay me, 
this six or seven hundred dollars a month, and then I'll turn around and buy this car, or you know, whatever. But from a, the government standpoint, from the tax regulations, it's perfectly legal to do these things I'm talking about. And the reason I'm educating you on it right now is because I want you to be able to think that way. It's not tax evasion; it's tax avoidance, and you're doing things from a tax advantage situation, just like retirement. Like I have a retirement account where I put tax advantage dollars into and it's perfectly legal. It comes out of my paycheck before I even touch it. So you have to use the tax laws to your advantage. And the people that do that are able to leverage the amount of money they have coming in better. So you need to familiarize yourself with these ideas. Um, everybody's goal should be to pay the least amount of taxes possible legally, correct? Yeah, we have that discussion. Yeah. Everybody's goal should pay the least amount of taxes legally, correct? I pay my taxes, and I think that, that everybody should have a goal of paying the least amount of taxes legally. That being said, um, did you know that there's a lot of wealthy individuals that pay very little taxes because they use government subsidies and grants to offset their taxes? Like, why would Bon Jovi have a bee farm? Do you know why? because there's a subsidy that gives him a big tax break by having bees. And so when you look at companies like Amazon that pay zero taxes, because why do you think that is? And they did billions of dollars in sales. Because they use government tax rules to advantage themselves in a way that they benefit by paying low, low to zero taxes. General Electric does the same thing. A lot of these big corporations do that. So. You have to, but from their perspective, their vantage point, oh, we pay tons of taxes. Look at, our, look at how much payroll we've got. Millions and millions and billions of dollars in payroll. And so look at all that tax revenues it's generating. So my philosophy is pay the least amount of taxes you legally are required to pay. You don't want to pay more than you're legally required to pay, right? So, uh, yeah, I'm not talking about tax evasion. I'm talking about tax avoidance. And I guess it just boils down to how the company is doing and then... Oh, no, that's a general. different ballgame. No, like looking at the general morale of, of, you know, the lower level employees. Like if you've got Jeff Bezos right. for Amazon um, living high on the hog, sure. obviously taking all these government subsidies and whatnot. And then look at the people that are actually working for Amazon. And I, my aunt did it before right. she had her issues. It is pretty much a sweatshop. So we talked about this too. Um, Legal but unethical, right? Is that, that that's your perspective on it? So it's legal to, to he's he's getting all these benefits, but is are the benefits that you're taking home worth your employees basically suffering with their morale? This is the continual ethical discussion in business. So if somebody starts a business and says, Hey, I need workers and workers show up to their door and knock and say, I'm a worker, I'm willing to work for what you pay me if you'll hire me. And then they say, okay, I'll hire you, come work, this is the wage. You know, from a business law perspective, uh, there was an offer, an offer was accepted, you know, and then, but then the worker gets there and realizes three months later, well, you know what, this isn't the cake that I really thought it was gonna be. The worker has the right to at will leave at any point. They say, you know, if this ain't my slice of, uh, of cheesecake, I'm just gonna walk out. But what you see in these outlier cases is people stay and complain. Do I think people are underpaid in this country? Absolutely. Has the minimum wage been low too long? Absolutely. Um, from a business from a business owner, I'm not a business owner, but I'm from speaking on their behalf, I would say that business owners will tell you that 
labor is their most expensive thing, and by keeping wages low, they're able to use more profits to grow business more. Mm, yeah, but the middle class has been, been being hauled out for a while. The base is widening as far as our poverty has been increasing, so our people above, below the poverty level. So, I mean, I, you have to understand, these, these are not black and white things. There's a lot of gray area in here. So if you're a capitalist, if you're a business person, which I am, um, I see the business argument of, you know, you want to you want to offer competitive wages, but you don't want to pay people more than you have to, just like you don't want to pay more taxes than you have to. And so you want to keep those wages reasonable, competitive, because if you don't keep them competitive, you want to uh, offer a little bit more than what you than what the minimum is, because if you don't, people are always going to leave you. You know, you're going to people people walk in. The cost of hiring people and then turning it over is very expensive for business. When I was at Walmart, they said it was about $2,400 per individual. They had to hire, train, and then get to productivity. It's about two grand. So uh, they want to reduce that turnover. They want to reduce those, those uh, people popping in and out. And so I see both sides of that. I see the employee side that just wants the bigger paycheck. So uh, my advice to everybody is make yourself as valuable as possible through credentials, education, anything else that you can do to increase your value because when you do, Hopefully, your compensation will work out on the back end where you can either be a sole proprietor on the side, make some money, maybe turn that into your full-time venture. I mean, every accounting firm or CPA that, that is ran by an owner, they started out working for somebody else, you know. And so uh, if that is your goal to one day be a sole proprietor, you got to start somewhere. you got to have some value somewhere. So other questions, comments? I know we're getting close on time. We are on time, so... Um, I got about halfway through this lecture. I'm going to pause for today, send the recording out. I'll finish the other half on Thursday and send that to you guys. If you guys need anything in the meantime, let me know. Um, if you will send me those assignments, that way I can I got it. Us. Okay, good. Um, yeah, but if you guys need anything else in the meantime, just shoot me an email, okay? Um, What's up? Moodle, it's supposed to post into today, but it actually closed on Friday. So you... um, it says the end. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well.